welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. The commonest time we think of adrenocortical insufficiency in the ICU is probably in sepsis. This post is definitely not going to cover the beast that is steroid use in the intensive care unit or its novel all-purpose moniker of CIRSI, critical illness-related corticosteroid insufficiency. Our natively produced steroids have their origins in the adrenal glands and specifically in the adrenal cortex and the three main types produced here are classified as corticosteroids, mineralocorticoids and the sex hormones. Mostly what we're interested in from the point of view of critical care is cortisol. Amongst other things cortisol is needed for include adrenergic receptor synthesis and expression, wound healing, vascular tone and immune functions. Cortisol has very complex interactions and receptor physiology that are not so much beyond the scope of this post, but really in reality much more beyond the capacity of my brain in general. It is normally secreted in a pulsed diurnal fashion and is under control of the hypothalamic pituitary axis. In the blood you find it mainly protein bound, but it's the free portion that's the active bit. Uh, and it's lipophilic, diffusing easily into cells and within the cells, it can actually be found in active and inactive states. So all these layers of complexity is really just to say that a serum level is often very poorly predictive of activity at a cellular level. You can classify adrenocortical insufficiency into three different categories. So first primary, two secondary, and three relative adrenocortical insufficiency, or CIRSI would be the new name for that critical illness-related corticosteroid insufficiency in our books. Primary adrenal insufficiency is most commonly known as Addison's disease. So interestingly, when Addison's disease was first described, it was largely due to tuberculosis infiltration of the adrenal cortex, which is a fairly rare cause in Western societies at this stage. These days, it's all autoimmune, where some immune reaction against the enzyme 21-hydroxylase renders the production of cortisol and mineral mineralocorticoids useless. Autoimmune disease is currently the clear winner in terms of causes, but some notable also-rans in that list will include drugs, infection, malignant infiltration, and hemorrhage or infarction. Our interaction with primary adrenal insufficiency will often come with an adrenal crisis. Often these patients will come with pre-existent labels of Addison's, which makes our jobs very easy, but every now and again we'll be, have to, we'll be challenged to make the diagnosis de novo. So the classic presentation here is going to be shock, abdominal pain and vomiting, low sodium with a high potassium, a low glucose, you can also see eosinophilia in this, and a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, which when you look into it is apparently a type 4 renal tubular acidosis for those keeping score at home. Um, so our brainstem level response to this presentation should be to give 100 milligrams of hydrocortisone and whatever fluid the patient needs. The UK Society for Endocrinology would be supportive even if you don't do the cortisol level first. Interestingly, they prefer the steroids as a 24-hour infusion, which does seem to be the fashion these days, even if I'm unclear of the rationale or the evidence base. Secondary adrenal insufficiency is largely down to long-term use of steroids, where the continual presence of cortisol screws up the hypothalamic pituitary axis, resulting in suppressed adrenals that are unable to crank up production when needed. Most of the clinical signs of crisis will be similar here to primary adrenocortical insufficiency. The main difference is that mineralocorticoid production is typically preserved in secondary adrenal insufficiency. And clinically this is reflected in the absence of mineralocorticoid deficiency signs, such as hyperkalemia, lenagma, or increased skin pigmentation. The final reminder is that anytime someone on long-term steroids or Addison's gets admitted to hospital, you should strongly consider bumping up their steroids. Pretty much everything that lands a patient like this in hospital would normally require a bump in their cortisol, something that these patients cannot make happen on their own. For the reading and references for this post, go to IBC chapter on this. The Internet Book of Critical Care podcast has a great chapter on this. And the rest of the content comes from O's Manual, chapter 62.